Welcome to Slow Stories. I'm Rachel Schwartzman, the founder of Connected Editorial and the host and creator of this podcast. For those of you just joining in, Slow Stories is a series that deep dives into the rising slow content movement. In each of these episodes, I interview brand builders, entrepreneurs, and creative professionals who share what slow content means in the context of what they're building and why slowing down and creating thoughtful stories is more important than ever. Today's episode begins with an opening story from Stephanie Harrison, who shares a poem she returns to when needing to slow down and reflect. Here's more from Stephanie. Hi, my name is Stephanie Harrison, and I'm the founder and CEO of The New Happy. Our mission is to help you to redefine happiness in order to make our world a better place. The poem I'm going to share with you today is something that I return to when I need to slow down, reconnect with myself, and really remember what matters most. While I love all of this poet's writing, this one is especially meaningful for me. I revisit it every few weeks or months and always find it to ground me, bring me back into the present moment, and help me to make sure that I'm walking in the right direction when I do start to move again. The poem is called What to Remember When Waking by David White. In that first hardly noticed moment in which you wake, coming back to this life from the other, our secret, movable, and frighteningly honest world where everything began, there is a small moment into the new day which closes the moment you begin your plans. What you can plan is too small for you to live. What you can live wholeheartedly will make plans enough for the vitality hidden in your sleep. To be human is to be invisible while carrying what is hidden as a gift to others. To remember the other world in this world is to live in your true inheritance. You are not a troubled guest on this earth. You are not an accident amidst other accidents. You were invited from another and greater night than the one from which you have just emerged. Now... Looking through the slanting light of the morning window toward the mountain presence of everything that can be, what urgency calls you to your one true love? What shape waits in the seed of you to grow and spread its branches against a future sky? Is it waiting in the fertile sea? In the trees beyond the house? In the life you can imagine for yourself? In the open and lovely white page on the writing desk? Thank you so much again to Stephanie for sharing. Again, the poem she read was What to Remember When Waking by David White. Now here's my conversation with Jen Tardif. When you move half as fast, you notice twice as much. These words lay the foundation that Jen Tardif has built for her life and for her work. With the latter in mind, the sentiment is also one of the pillars that makes up Third Ritual, a collective founded by Jen that, in her words, creates mindful objects, botanical blends, and esoteric content that make meaning from the ordinary. It was in those ordinary moments of juggling the demands of modern life and a budding mindfulness practice that Jen recognized just how disjointed these two aspects had become. So she decided to take a leap of faith by translating her personal rituals into professional transformation, in turn, breathing new life into what it means to connect today. And while Jen has created the tools to explore, as she mentions in our conversation, a third way, she's also created infinite opportunities for people to show up wholeheartedly for one another and for themselves. 
In this conversation, Jen shared more about the origin story behind Third Ritual, the importance of creating moments of connectivity both online and off, and what she's learned about the power of setting intentions. There's so much to get into, so I won't give too much more away. With that in mind, here's my conversation with Jen Tardif of Third Ritual. if more people um, started a conversation with, you know, like career aside, who are you? I, I feel like that's my kind of dinner party, <laughs> RIP dinner parties. Um, <laughs> I'm a mother, a wife, a sister, friend, and I'm a teacher, which is really a byproduct of being a lifelong student. And I feel most like myself when I'm present, you know, like not replaying the past or worrying about the future, but just truly present. And in yoga, we actually use the word dharma um, to describe one's purpose. It, it comes from like the root is dri, which means to uplift or uphold. And I guess my dharma is helping others uncover meaning in the otherwise mundane. Well, it comes across from what I've seen with Third Ritual. I think another way that you've made this really accessible is through the art of storytelling. And so with that in mind, you know, was there a particular story whether it was an article, a poem, or a book that made you slow down or reshaped how you approach the definition of ritual or just impacted your overall practice? Mm, there, there are so many, but there's this one quote, and it's from The Elegance of the Hedgehog by Muriel Bribery that's transcribed onto the, the first page of my very first third ritual journal. I, I keep a separate journal for all things third, and it still holds up as my favorite illustration of ritual and, and also as this reminder that simple can be sacred. Um, should I read it? Yeah, please. Okay. Um, so this is Muriel Barbary, and she writes, when tea becomes ritual, it takes place at the heart of our ability to see greatness in small things. Where is beauty to be found? In great things that, like everything else, are doomed to die, or in small things that aspire to nothing, yet know how to set a jewel of infinity in a single moment. Wow, I can see why that has such resonance with what you do. Mm -hmm. So your story too, I think, is a really nice culmination of storytelling, wellness, but also in the sense of how we live and work today. It's also kind of speaking to the alternatives for how we connect. And I think for those who aren't as familiar with your background, it would be great to have you share an overview of your experience and how it's fueled your perception of what it means to connect and engage in some of these themes and how it's informed your approach to third ritual. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've worked in a few different industries. Um, hospitality, I was a, the marketing director for a boutique hotel, and then I was very early at a, at a tech startup, which was then acquired by a large Fortune 500 company, so both ends of the spectrum. And then um, of course, wellness. And so it's not, you know, so linear, like I've always been kind of jealous of those people that if you look at their LinkedIn, it's like a, you know, like a bullet point version of climbing rungs of a ladder, but <laughs> I don't have that. Um, but what I do have is this, this through line, you know, that's always been about helping the people and the brands that I believe in succeed. And, and I actually think it's really important to note that I still, I still do that like in a consulting or freelance capacity. And it, and it can kind of feel taboo to talk about that, like to peel back the curtain on the finance aspect. But I also think 
it's important because it's because of that work that third remains a true and, and untainted labor of love. And going back to your question, you know, I think that if I'm being really honest, which was the intention that I set for myself before we started recording was like, you know, try to speak less from the head and more from the heart. And the honest reason that I started third was kind of, kind of selfish in, in the sense that I had a great career on paper and yet I wasn't happy. And I felt like I had two really different personas, you know, the professional one who knew all the corporate buzzwords and could whip up a go-to-market strategy in her sleep. And then this spiritual one who'd like sneak off to do yoga at night, or I'd save up all my vacation days to go on a meditation retreat. And I just had this incessant suspicion that life wasn't meant to be so binary and that maybe, you know, by removing that barrier that separated church and state, there could be an, okay, forgive me, I'm about to use such an annoying pun here, but there could be a third way. And, and so a few years ago, I went out on this very vulnerable limb and started hosting gatherings in the form of ritual-based workshops. And we'd sit in circle and move through guided practices like pranayama, which is breath work or journaling, uh, meditation, painting, aromatherapy. And I'd invite other healers and, and teachers and different modalities to co-host with me. And we always create a central altar from found in natural materials. And those would later come to life, you know, as part of our ceremony. And we ended up hosting them, um, these workshops, like in incredible spaces, like Bali, Nicaragua, LA, and an art gallery in Toronto on a tiny little island in Greece, a church basement, you know, tons of yoga studios. We've done countless at, at Sky Ting. You know, I've always loved teaching and practicing yoga, and I and I still do. But I, I felt this disconnect between the way I'd feel on the mat, or maybe a few minutes lingering post shavasana, and and the rest of my fast paced, high stress life that was kind of waiting for me on the other side. And so, this offering, what we were doing with third, was a way of modernizing these practices. Like, you know, I remember in the early days, like I talk about the ROI of your time. Okay. We have 90 minutes together. How are we going to make the most of it? How does this translate into the rest of your life? Here's how you can secretly practice box breathing while you're in a stressful meeting or conversation. And it was really through those gatherings that we formed our, our collective. And I always, just as a quick aside, I always use the word collective um, rather than company or brand because it to me I like image a, a flock of birds or a swarm of bees and we're all sort of moving in the same direction we're united by that journey and and in the case of third ritual it's it's towards more connectivity the mystical um, you know and ultimately more joy um, and so to answer in more of a linear linear fashion you know the workshops came first and then the products very much came second. And in part, that was because we really like to take our time. Like everything that we have created has first been in response to our community's requests, you know, for modernized tools and ways to, you know, authentically support the techniques that we were sharing in these gatherings. But also, you know, we go really deep into research and development. The first product that we created, I don't know how familiar you are with it, but it's called The Bell. And that was really born out of this landscape where, you know, there was no shortage of, of meditation apps. But we kept hearing from folks, and I totally count myself into this frustration, that using your phone to time your sit was like 
an unbreakable tether to your to-do list. Like the first thing you'd see after meditating was this sea of notifications and unread emails, and you'd be right back where you left off. So, you know, I, my R and D involved like me, you know, traveling to India and studying with like ritual masters and really, you know, making things that, that took like weeks in this, in this village that had like never codified the practice that had been passed down from generation to generation. You know, it's a ritual in itself, but it's a double-edged sword. And, and what we ended up with was the bell, our, our, our first tool, and it's a solid brass candle holder for those who've never seen it that uses fire, gravity, and sound to measure time. And you you place a pin in the candle at the minute mark of your choosing because they they come in a little box with a ruler so you can decide how long you want to sit for. Then you light it and as the candle burns, the wax melts and eventually a pin falls and it lands with a, a resonant ding. So, you know, we kind of braided together as our name suggests these, these three really different um, traditions, like harnessing the ancient practice of candle gazing, which is called Tritaka, the, the scent of the candles, which was inspired by like woodsy frankincense of temples and churches. And then the sound itself, the, that resonant ding is reminiscent of, of a Tibetan singing bowl. And I, I can go on and on, so I'll try to stop myself, but I'll just say that, you know, it's been really cool because since launching it, we have learned that so many people don't even use it to meditate. And I think that's amazing. Like some people light it at a dinner and give thanks when a pin drops or couples have used it during their wedding ceremonies for a moment of silence. And we even had somebody last year send us a photo from their New Year's Eve party and they used it in place of a traditional like ball drop countdown to ring (laughs) the new year. And um, those are, you know, the metrics that matter the most, most to us that we can infuse a little bit more meaning and, and mindfulness by the, by way of what we're creating. And how do you use it? I use it, um, to sit. I use it for dinner parties and, and, you know, we actually had when you, when we could gather, it would always be the center of our altars, kind of like the eye of the storm. So everything that we would add from little flower petals to, you know, the ingredients that would um, make up our aromatherapeutic blends, they would all kind of radiate out from the center. And there's something pretty powerful about being in a room full of other people and having everyone hold still. And I think by having this central point of focus, the flickering flame, which I always, as I'd light it, tell people is, you know, uh, kind of like depicting the fluctuations in your mind. There, there is something that was really powerful and palpable. Like there was a clear beginning, middle and end where, you know, there was a notable shift. It was alchemical. People felt and acted and held themselves and even spoke and breathed differently. Um, once we had even, you know, just done a, a few minutes of, of gazing, of sitting and, being mindful. I think it's really interesting that what you've created has inspired moments of stillness. Obviously now that's being taken to an entirely new level, but I also think there is an interesting kind of duality between, you know, the mission of what you're doing and the environment in which it was birthed in, which is here in New York City. And I don't know if you've been following, you know, the recent stories around New York's supposed demise, but do you think that once we're through this time, and that there is a return to some sense of normalcy, that your relationship with a place like New York or a fast-paced city will have changed as a result of this time? Absolutely. 
I mean, I think we're always heading in one direction and that's forward. You know, there's always learnings that become more crystal clear by way of hindsight, but you can never go back. And the the New York that once existed is gone, but that's not as pessimistic as maybe it it sounded um, or as I intended it. I think that although what is waiting for us on the other side of this pandemic is going to be different, I I hope in my heart and I pray that it's also going to be better because I think that by being forced to um, quarantine, we've also collectively been forced to reckon with a lot of the the demons and even systemic issues that um, maybe weren't so top of mind. I know that's not the case for everyone, but I do think that there has been this broader shift and that the more that we can broaden our perspectives and, you know, educate ourselves and take time to reflect, then the more conscious we're going to be as we resume, you know, some of the activities that you listed off, like, well, if I am going to go back into an office, what are the things that, you know, I need to, to have in order to feel healthy? Or, you know, if like this notion of working to live no longer holds up when you spend so much time either at work, working or thinking about work, then how can you, you know, remove some of those barriers in order to bring your whole self in order to, you know, maintain some of the values like being a parent or um, making it home in time for family dinner, you know, whatever it may be, it's going to be different things for different people. But I do, I do hope that that is, uh, is protected to a certain extent. Me too. And I was curious to just hear your thoughts on this because you know, the heart of what I'm exploring with slow stories is really our relationship with pace. And as it's been noted in some of my more recent interviews, it was really informed by the environments that we're in and the environments that we create in 2020, you know, talking about this time through the lens of working, living, and creating in this digital environment is so critical. So I'm curious what this idea of slow storytelling or content means to you as you continue to navigate building third ritual and also as you become i guess more embedded in the digital landscape as a consumer of content too we actually have a a different mantra for each facet of our offering so for social our our intention is to slow people down mid-scroll so it's kind of funny because there was there was like a thread within the question that you asked um that feels really really relevant to the way that we've always looked at it you know pre-pandemic and beyond and and our approach is really non-dogmatic and and sort of medium agnostic in that way like anything's fair game we'll share a math equation or land art you know Bauhausian architecture or like sculptural deities it's all fair game but it's it's through you know the curation and pairing these images um with our favorite teachings and texts or, or the poetry that we most revere it's it's through that lens that's all geared towards uncovering, you know, meaning and the otherwise mundane that we built this paradoxical little world. And I say paradoxical because it's it's both esoteric and accessible. It's a world in which everything's connected and one that's governed by, you know, our recognition that there's a lot of noise right now. 
So if we're going to put something out, it better be worth it. Like it better be original and beautiful and helpful in order to merit taking up someone's time. And like, even as we're just to get meta, like as we're talking right now, I'm hyper-conscious that this is being recorded. Like I'm trying to be mindful by simultaneously filtering what I'm saying through my intention of being honest and helpful because there's enough unfiltered pollution out there. Like there's enough, as we, we were talking about before you hit record, like there's no shortage of podcasts out there. And so in my own small way, and I think that you share in this, you know, I hope to lead by example. I hope to to speak from the heart and um, to, to really, you know, always come back to quality over quantity. For sure. And just going back to what we were chatting about before we started recording, I mentioned, and I'm sure for a lot of people who know me, this won't be a surprise, but I'm very shy and introverted by nature. But, you know, I think what's really beautiful about what the digital landscape has afforded us in terms of our tools to tell stories is that there are so many ways to kind of take things to the next level. And I think with podcasting, for me, it's kind of brought back an element of humanity that might have been lost or maybe not as apparent uh, as some of the other ways that we create and consume stories online. So I think it will be really interesting to see how this broader notion of slowing down and creating narratives evolves as we navigate such a tumultuous time. And I'm curious too, because you do such a beautiful job in marrying visuals and copy, if there's been an unexpected narrative or question that's arisen from Third Ritual's community that you might not have expected or one that slowed you down or made you reconsider some of your beliefs about storytelling today? Yeah, I think, so the first thing that comes to mind is that, you know, a few months ago, Vogue did this amazing feature on our Apothecary Toolkit, which I'm, I'm so grateful for. And it came together, you know, completely organically. We don't have PR, nor can we afford PR or marketing for that matter. But anyway, they did this amazing feature and we were inundated with requests from influencers after the fact, like offering to create content or, you know, positive reviews for our, our bombs. And I, I know, like I have witnessed firsthand and been involved in some of those like brand ambassadors or gifting strategies, and they can be very successful for other companies. But when it came to third, we, we had to, again, you know, our approach is like, we always say it's equal parts data-driven and human. And so like, yes, there's some data to back this up. And yet when we sat with it, we were like, nah, <laughs> doesn't feel right. Like this doesn't feel good. And so we would decline. And, you know, I think that's kind of controversial and I'm sure we hurt um, some people's feelings because they didn't get the, the product for free. We were like, that's awesome. If you want to support it, like that'd be so dope if you bought it. And if not, that's cool too. Cause it's just, that's just not what we're, you know, about. I think that building something slowly and organically doesn't come without its compromises is what I'm trying to to illustrate with that example. It wasn't meant to be a humble brag. I was really just trying to say that you actually, it it comes at a cost at times and you do have to uphold boundaries and, and say no. And that's not easy. I mean, for me anyways, but what you get in return is this foundation that is so stable you know, it's already proven itself to be way more resilient in the face of things like a global pandemic 
and beyond because the the folks that have been with us from from the beginning and that continue to grow with us you know they're not going anywhere they understand that this that this community that we've built it is an exchange we we teach and learn from one another and as a result we grow together totally and taking that very considered approach is essential in the i guess quote unquote wellness mindfulness space that we've sort of seen explode on social media, which I think is something that's sort of an interesting tension because between practicing some of these things and also navigating the demands of creating in a space that is predicated on such a fast pace. And I just love that third rituals pillars include the saying, if you move half as fast, you notice twice as much. And I'm curious what some of your biggest observations have been while building third ritual and as well as what you hope to take more notice of during this time. Mm. Yeah, the first thing that comes to mind is this this Joseph Campbell quote where he says, if you can see your path laid out in front of you step by step, you know it's not your path. <laughs> and what I mean by that is that it's it's so easy to fall prey to the false notion that there's like a perfect recipe out there or a right way to, you know, put something whether it's content or products out into the world, but you know, at the end of the day, you get to define what success looks like and, and how it feels. And I think that that's been one of my my greatest sort of like earned secrets, if you will, um, from building this business thus far. And it's not to say that it's been all, you know, glamorous and easy. Like I think for much of, especially last year, while I was navigating, you know, growing the business with um, a new baby, I, I felt like kind of a failure. And I was really operating from this scarcity mindset where I was, you know, looking over the fence at what other brands and companies were doing and at the speed and pace at which they were growing and feeling like, well, if it's not that, then it's not good enough. And I, I mentioned that because, you know, and this might sound a little woo-woo, but ultimately it was a cage of my own creation, you know? And when I say that, that we get to define what success looks like and how it, and how it feels, I really mean that to be true because the moment that I came to terms with what we were building and why we were building it and, and really was able to, you know, reconcile my desire to, you know, create something meaningful that wasn't going to necessarily skyrocket overnight and and actually celebrate our smallness and our nicheness. Then all of a sudden these doors that felt like they were locked, that I was like banging down, just opened. And really like at the core of that, and this is something that anyone can, can practice. And, and also like in, in all honesty, this is where rituals come in. They work, they help, they, they uh, are practical tools for navigating modern life in this way. And, and, and it was a switch of, of mindsets from, from scarcity to abundance, from, from feeling, you know, less wrapped up in, in where I, I hope this is going to go or what other people are doing and so much more grounded and at home and all that we have and all that we're doing and all that feels right and good. Yeah, that's a really important, it's almost a ritual in itself actually to remind yourself of all of that because I think it's something that we'll all have to grapple with 
in our age of performative everything, which social media has really given rise to. And I I do think there is a real pushback in terms of how we're approaching our personal, professional, and creative endeavors, and also how we're curating the moments and the stories that we're sharing, as well as what it takes to sort of achieve those moments or milestones. And I think too, what I've noticed about the moment that we're in in terms of this kind of recalibration of pace, is that there's such an opportunity to use stories to create more accessibility to narratives, especially in industries like wellness, that might have traditionally only been perceived in one way, and making that a little bit more open to others. So what have you learned about the power that comes with that responsibility of making storytelling accessible, especially now? Yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, like wellness has undeniably become mainstream and and I'm I'm so here for normalizing practices that can help dissolve stress and and better our mental and emotional and physical well-being but <laughs> you know there's a bug going I I do worry about what gets lost you know in the in the ubiquity of it all like one of the ways that we've challenged ourselves from day 1 to empower our our community is to provide the missing context for these tools, like whose shoulders are you standing on when you participate? What is the what is the cultural and the historical significance of of said ritual? And and like where are your ingredients sourced and how and and what does sustainable really mean? Like you alluded to this sort of heightened discernment that's been one of the silver linings of of, of quarantine, and I I really welcome that. Like, I think that a heightened level of discernment is absolutely necessary to conscious consumption. Yeah. And I think it's interesting, too, the move towards all of that all at once can kind of seem overwhelming. So being discerning about being discerning has been an interesting challenge, if that makes sense, at least for me. It does. And then in terms of third ritual, again, you've done such a beautiful job of maintaining that consistency and how you're communicating some of these things. But do you have any plans to build on this storytelling in the coming months? Yeah, it's all kind of a a living, breathing experiment. But we, the moment that we learned that we wouldn't be able to gather um, in person anymore, we we started recording different conversations and and practices and, and polling our collective as to what rituals were helping them stay grounded and cultivate resilience through this time. And, and the result ended up being our, our first ever, you know, recorded offering in, in the form of actually a podcast. Um, and, you know, we, again, like, like all things, we, we ran it through our same filter of how can we uh, avoid adding to the noise. There was no, no shortage of, you know, people leading like meditations on, on Instagram and doing, you know, IG lives and, and those types of things. And, and that's amazing and great, but um, it didn't work for us. Like we didn't want to uh, contribute to, to more screen time. And I personally can't meditate with my phone in hand, let alone like the Instagram app open and glaring at me. Um, so what we did with this podcast was with the help of this amazing producer named Alison Bresnick, shout out to her. She, you know, helped us sort of weave together this tapestry of voices where the medium itself um, created what we would normally do in, in circle and in person, but on a level that, you know, we would never have been able to, to achieve that type of 
of accessibility. Like we had, you know, teachers from Hong Kong and India and Istanbul and Australia and their voices um, really thread together so nicely because ultimately, regardless of the lineage or the tradition that they're pulling from, everyone's really saying the same thing, which is that you already know, but this as a tool can help because it guides you and and really the the purpose is to you know turn down the volume of all the other stimulus that you're getting from the news to your work to you know just notification after notification and and hopefully if it, if you give it the time and the attention um, it can help you sit with yourself and anchor you back to the present moment, what's happening in the here and now, how it feels to be in your body, the gratitude that comes from being in a body, breathing in and breathing out. It's, it's simple and yet, you know, it's sacred. And and again, we, you know, we try to be economical in part because of our real constraints. Like it's cheap and cheerful. The audio is not perfect. And they're on average six minutes long because, I'm, you know, I'm filtering it also through my own experience, which like as a mom with no child care, I'm like recording these at midnight and I don't have a lot of time. So I wanted it to be something that, you know, you didn't need to, to feel like you had a, you know, a full weekend to do a retreat, but whenever it was convenient. And I think that that's really always been important about our offering is having these different layers so that, you know, if, if somebody buys a, a tool, great. If they can come to a workshop, amazing. If they listen to the podcast, fantastic. If they just follow us on Instagram, like you're in, you know, like there's no like secret password. It's this, this is really, you know, it feels as kind of cheesy to say, but it, this feels like my life's work. Like I, I believe that, you know, through sharing this, um, we can cultivate more, more connection. Yeah, I think it's so wonderful to have all of these different vehicles in terms of how people can participate in something that is really so individual. And I think too, it's created an opportunity for that introspection and honesty to explore what makes sense when it comes to building rituals and practices that make sense for you. And I think to be able to do that, you really have to create mental runway to be able to ask questions. And a lot of the questions that I think we've maybe strayed away from are a result of not slowing down and also just not giving ourselves a chance to experience a shift in pace that allows for that. And so with that in mind, is there a particular question that you hope people start asking you more often, whether it pertains to building ritual or it pertains to living a more conscious life? This is a very personal question. So, you know, it's one that I, I'd probably reserve for close friends, but I, I really like asking what makes you feel safe? And how would you respond? Well, I think I'd have a different answer depending on you know the day and, and season in which it was asked. But what I like about the question is that it creates a gateway, much like you know the way that you start these conversations by asking people about their values and who they are outside of their profession or what's listed on their LinkedIn page. And I think that what it can um, create a container for the, the, the response to fill is, um, you know, a sense of wholeness. And that's what I was really trying to get at when I was describing the, you know, removing the barrier between that duality. I am one way at work and a 
completely different way in my free time. I, you know, show up like this for my colleagues, but like this for my family. And it's like, when you take out that, that barrier, like thinking of the Taoist principle of yin and yang, it's not just about effort and grace or light and dark or good and bad, but it's the, the relationship between the two and the constant flux and the constant cycle that that dance that if treated with reverence and if you pay attention and tune into it can become a governing principle that leads you to more equanimity and i think that's really what what we're all after and so by asking that question i think it brings to the forefront again not something that you know is going to set us into future tripping or comparison, but something that we already have access to. And it can, just as a gentle reminder, it can be really simple. Like sometimes what makes me feel safe is using the blend that I'm I'm really like attached to right now is one that we we created called Earth. And this isn't just a shameless plug. It's it's honestly it's right next to me as I'm talking to you right now. And just, you know, rubbing it in my hands, smelling the the scent, which you know, has a direct pathway to, to my limbic brain where memories and emotions and, and our motivations are stored. And, and I know that in the subtle body, the hands are an extension of the heart. So it's truly an act that's from me, for me. And no matter what else is, is going on, it, it's an invitation, even for just th- those few moments, um, to, you know, return to what's real and true. And that's that I'm here and I'm breathing and I'm okay. Yeah, and to that point, also remembering the tangible world around you, the people sitting next to you or sitting in the next room, the sounds outside of your window, or even the sound of your own breathing, being. I mean, for me, these are things that I've had to walk myself back to, especially while kind of operating in a space where I'm constantly surrounded by screens and um, you know the demands of running a small business. I just think it's these things that will be what gets us through this time, asking ourselves what makes us feel safe, especially in a digital context when we're all so connected and in tune with what's happening in the world, but still in a very removed way, is something that we'll always have to be mindful of in order to have a healthier relationship with the world around us and with ourselves. You know, that's something that probably warrants a follow-up conversation, but for this particular interview, it's a nice way to lead into one of my last questions that I like to ask to bring these conversations full circle. And that question is, why do you think slowing down our relationship to content will ultimately help us live, work, and feel better? I first want to acknowledge that busy and and fast paced living is an addiction. Like that might sound kind of uh, alarmist, but it's true. And so slowing down can be really uncomfortable and learning to, to sit with that discomfort, like the not knowing is one of the most challenging things that we as humans are, are faced with, like past, present, and future. No one wants to be uncomfortable. Like, why Why do you think there's been such an uptick in alcohol sales since March? Um, but, you know, if we can learn to mitigate that, that gray zone with kindness and compassion, and this is where, you know, having, again, like really simple rituals can help. 
it's it's through this kinder and more compassionate lens that we can access a whole new depth of resilience and creativity and imagination and those are the ingredients that are necessary for for long lasting change like the way we've been conditioned to reward speed is kind of ridiculous when you think about it like i don't care how fast you can type if you've never slowed down long enough to learn proper spelling and grammar or like if you speed read a book but didn't retain any of the information like that's useless to me and <laughs> earlier you know you shared one of our our mainstay mantras which is that when you move half as fast you notice twice as much and the more you notice the more you appreciate and appreciation leads to gratitude which lessens suffering and i always like to say you you cannot find grace without gratitude That was my conversation with Jen Tardif of Third Ritual. Be sure to follow Third Ritual online at thirdritual.com and on social at Third Ritual. You can also follow Jen at Jen underscore Tardif. We'll be sharing highlights from this episode at Slow Stories Official on Instagram and at Slow Stories Pod on Twitter. Thanks for tuning in to Slow Stories.